it's real talky. This is very much written like a play. Oh, she's so French. Oh, she's so French. She's so cute. And I would have been like, okay, so I'm studying abroad now and we're together and that's how it's going to be. They're there in this town, in this moment with each other to be, to be loved, to be loved a little more. Hello and welcome to the Untitled Gen X podcast, a podcast dedicated to the pop culture that raised us. I'm Lori, a writer and pop culture lover who's overjoyed to welcome the amazing Amy Garris to wax poetic about 1995's romantic indie classic, Before Sunrise. But before we get into the self-discovery of it all, I'd like to tell you all about the wickedly talented Amy Garris. Amy is an actress, singer, songwriter, and mom of two young kids who inspire her beloved mom songs. I'm totally obsessed with them. We will talk more about those a little bit later. (laughs) She's also a hopeful romantic who is married to her favorite actor. Welcome to the podcast, Amy. Thank you. Yay. (laughs) I'm so happy to have you. I haven't spoken to you probably since college sometime. We met in high school. Mm -hmm. Yes. We were in drama together for years and years. We did scenes together. I remember the bad seed. The bad, oh my God, I forgot (laughs) about that. The bad seed. The bad seed. Yes. You were the mom? I think so. Yeah. And I think I was like the bad seed little girl. (laughs) That was awesome. (laughs) Memories. Yeah. Amy, you've always been such a talent. I remember in high school, you played guitar, Mm -hmm. you sang, you loved acting, and you went on actually to pursue a degree in theater. Yes, I did. Yes. And you're married to an actor. Yes, I am. And yeah, that's where we met actually was in theater school. So we were in productions together there. So yeah, it's just been my whole life. That's amazing. And of course, your husband is the wonderful, phenomenal actor, Ludwig Manukian. Mm-hmm. Yes. He's been in everything. Amy. Oh my God. Yes. I see him all the time. I know. <laughs> yes. The com- the wet teddy bear commercial he was just in. Yeah. He's done a bunch, a bunch of things. He's my favorite. He was always my favorite in college. I would always like be sitting back in the seats and be like, Oh, like, like I would seriously, I would just be in awe of him. And now we get to work together, like on our scenes and stuff. So Oh, it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. In 2016, you wrote, produced, and starred in a short film called Flipping Pages. Yes. It also starred your husband. Yes, it did. Oh my goodness. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, that was, you know, I really love writing. I love just putting a film together. And so I got a little bit of money together. I wrote this short film and I got a little crew together and I, I really wanted to do something that my husband and I could do together um, because he's amazing. And um, so I wrote a sh- this short film and actually it's kind of a little, it's inspired by Before Sunrise as a matter of fact. <laughs> I mean, you know, loosely. Loosely. But, yeah. But um, it's this woman who is a writer and she's having like major writer's block. And then this man who looks like he came out of like, a 1940s movie, like steps in and is like, Hey, you know, how's it going? Like kind of, you know, so they strike up a conversation in a coffee shop and then she kind of leaves with him. It is like this film. It's very similar, Um, different kind of scenarios. And, you know, so, but I love that spark 
that connection that can kind of happen and then that risk that you take um, when you sort of say, yes, I'm going to go with this person. The stranger, but I feel something. Yes, but I feel it's okay. Like it's safe. Like it's not like some creepy weirdo. <laughs> like I'm going to go. Let's like, be real clear, guys. Murder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So eventually, you know, he he's a photographer and he takes her picture and they have this moment. And then she's inspired again to continue writing. And so he's like a muse. He's like a muse that kind of comes in and kind of goes like, is he real? Is he not? We don't know. And from their encounter, from their time together, she is forever changed. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. Now, I also know you've got something in post-production also with your husband, Mm -hmm. the short film called Spank. You start in this. And you executive produced it. Yes. It's technically out of production. We did actually film that, screen that at a film festival in Canada. Oh, cool. It was called the Pomegranate Film Festival. And, you know, it's it's really having to do with like Armenian filmmakers. And since the director and my husband are Armenian, okay, they were like in. So yeah. I love that you did that, that you wore so many hats. Yeah. So Amy, yes. I know that you love this film. I wanted to know, like, what's your history with this film? Well, as a matter of fact, I was uh, doing a study abroad program in London at the time that I saw this movie. And one of the the guys we were like, you know, hanging out with that we're Uh friends with was like, oh, you have to see this movie. He's like, it's so great. And we're like, okay. And so what we did is we, you know, we're like in these like kind of flats, you know, these you know, apartments that they have for students. Right. And there's nothing there in these flats. You know, you just bare minimum, like, like a little TV with like the turn knobs. Like that's like, that's all we had. Like, this was like 1996. Okay. So we went to some video store, like VHS video store (laughs) and rented like a VHS player you rented a VCR. Yes. Yes. Oh my a VCR. God. Yeah. Is that what you call it? I'm like, what is yeah. it? Oh yeah. VCR. Have <laughs> I forgotten? No. Um, yeah. So we rented this player and this guy found this movie on VHS. So we just all gathered like in this little flat and watched the movie. And I was like, whoa, like it just hit me. Like it was so, it was so appropriate to where I was and what I was doing at the time. Yes. And I just got chills, like remembering, like thinking about it. It inspired me, I think, from that moment to be like, hey, you know what? I had like a little bit of time at the end of my study abroad. I had an extra month that I planned to just see what happened. (gasps) Like bum around Europe, see what happened. Oh my God, what a dream. Yes. So I did that. And so I I was like, oh, I'll get a year rail pass. I didn't know about them, I think, until this movie. I was like, oh, I could do that. So, do that? That's amazing. Okay. Yeah, so I did that. And, you know, everywhere, because everywhere where we went was like trains. And I just have such a deep affinity for this movie because it's like looking out of the train for hours and yeah. all the people and the smell, like the, their smells and like, you know, like people talking and different countries. And it's just like. So it feels personal for you. It does. Yeah, it does. And a lot of other reasons too. So I I can't wait to get into it. (laughs) I I think part of it was like, it inspired me to be like, oh, well, maybe if I ride the Eurail long enough, I'll eventually meet Ethan Hawke. Like maybe he'll show up and I (laughs) honestly, like this was peak Ethan Hawke for me. Oh yeah. Just sexy and like 
but like kind of like offbeat, quirky, yes. like smart, but like charming and a romantic, but also just like, I don't know, just yeah, and like together. slightly damaged in a way where you want to like maybe fix it. Cause you know, you're young and you think you can. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. He needs someone yeah. to care for him and love him enough. Yeah. I think we all fell for Ethan Hawke in this film. Oh my God. Yeah. Amy, I don't know if you know this, but the idea for this film came from a real life encounter that Richard Linkletter had. Did you know? I've read that. I know. Like how amazing. In fall of 1989, while visiting his sister in Philadelphia, Linkletter met a woman named Amy Lairhopt and he met her in a toy shop. He told the New York Times, this girl was flirting with me while I waited for my sister. So I wrote a little note like, hey, I'm in town for one night if you want to hang out. Well, she did. According to Slate, they spent the entire night from midnight until six in the morning, walking around, flirting, doing the things you would never do now, talking about art, science, film, the gamut. Mm. And so this was like one of those really rare connections that you have with a stranger, right? And and he knew that there was magic in it. Mm -hmm. He revealed to the New York Times in 2004 that even while he was in it, like even while he was with her, he was walking around thinking, God, if I could just capture this feeling. Wow. He even admitted as much to her. He told her, you know what? I'm going to make a film about this. And she was like, what this? What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) And he was like- just this, this feeling, mm. this thing that's going on between us. Oh, I love that. That's a writer at heart. Yeah. It's being in a moment and being present enough to be like, I'm going to capture all of this. I want to remember the energy. I want to remember the look on your face. I want to have this and hold this and create something with it that will actually last forever that I can share with people. Yeah. It's magic. It's some kind of magic. Yes. I love magic. (laughs) You know, when I told my husband that I was recording before sunrise, he was like, eh, that movie (laughs) is like, it's real talky. This is very much written like a play, right? This could easily be a play performed on stage. Yes. Yes. It is so dialogue driven. I really love it. Mm -hmm. But like, I love the really talky stuff. I I'm into it, it. Me too. Just seeing the moments that are that aren't broken, that are intact. They seem real. They do seem real. It almost feels strangely voyeuristic. Like yeah. you're overhearing something you're not supposed to be hearing. Yeah. When you watched this with your fellow like classmates, were they all theater students? Yeah, none of them were. We were just all seekers. We were just all, I feel like, looking for something. Looking for something. Looking for whatever that is. You know, we're all like 19, 20. We're just, you know, at the beginning of our adult lives and trying to find, for me, it's like trying to find that connection with another person. And I think we were all trying to find that. And the people that I was with that introduced this film to me, they were writers and poets and, you know, all like kind of artistic people, creative people. We were just reading poetry and like writing things, writing journals, writing everything down. We were, you know, like we were on trains and like, or in a pub and like writing things down. So we were just very much just in tune with all of what was going around us. At that age, you're just so ripe for the experiences, right? You're just so ready for it. 
Yes, totally. Yeah. (laughs) Richard Linkletter, he has written and directed some of our favorite films. Slacker, obviously the whole before trilogy, before sunrise, before sunset, before midnight, dazed and confused, Mm -hmm. boyhood. Oh, boyhood. Mm. Oh, that one got me. I haven't seen it. I need to see it. I know. I need to see it because I love Richard Linklater. Oh, isn't he amazing? Love it. Yeah. So when he wanted to write the script for this film, he knew that he wanted to have a female co-writer. That was really important to him because he wanted to capture a strong female voice mm-hmm. and point of view. So he chose writer and actress Kim Krizan, who was actually best known for two of his films, Slacker and Dazed and Confused. Nice. So he said he just loved the way her mind worked, a constant stream of confident and intelligent ideas. Mm. So his goal throughout the script was to examine the relationship side of life and discover two people who had complete anonymity and try to find out who they really were. Now, he had considered setting the film in the U.S., but when he was at the Vienna Film Festival for Days and Confused, he found out they had European subsidy money. I don't know mm. what that means, but okay, they had money. <laughs> I guess that meant they could film in Europe. Yeah, it's cheaper. <laughs> okay, it's cheaper. So yeah. he figured, quote, when you're traveling, you're much more open to experiences outside of your usual realm. And that goes back to what you were saying, Amy. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you're open to so many things and you're just ready to say, yes, yes, I'll go here. I'll go there. Or just open to new ideas and new ways of doing things and new cultures and new people. And it's, yeah. It's inspiring. And Mm -hmm. even for someone like me who really kind of lacks a sense of adventure, when I travel, I am a completely different person. Absolutely. So the film premiered at Sundance on January 19th, 1995, and it was released in theaters on January 27th. The budget for the film was $2.5 million, and it made $5.5 million in the box office domestically and $17.2 million internationally. So it did very well internationally. Yeah, Yeah, that's not bad. People are like, yes. Yeah, I think it was different. It was like just a different film for, you know, for that time. Like, you know, nothing had been done like that. I mean, Slacker and Days Confused were kind of, you know, similar, but, but this was just the way that he makes movies, the characters having this, this experience was, nothing was like that. It was all like, you know, kind of sappy rom-coms. And I think the idea of it spoke to that sort of glimmer of hope or something within mm-hmm. all of us that's like, there's possibility out there. I think it yeah. just spoke yes. to possibility and being yes. young mm-hmm. and ready. Yeah. I think it spoke to us. Yeah. And particularly us, because like you said, we were the perfect age. We were the demographic for this film. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think we're the generation for this type of film too. Like, you know, coming with some baggage, coming with like wanting to kind of rebel against what our parents were doing, kind of, you know, some of us from broken homes, like, right. you know, my parents were divorced and like, you know, trying to like figure out like, what is really love? Is there a long lasting connection? Are we going to just inevitably mess things up. And so all the questions that you start to ask yourself when you're coming into being, you know, your own full person and trying to find another full person to share your life with. Right. And I think too, it's sort of like when you're a young person, you don't really know your yourself. You, like mm-hmm. you said, you're a seeker and you're, you're trying to figure out all the parts of you. And so if you are 
half of a fully realized person as a young person, Mm -hmm. meeting another half of a person, (laughs) you kind of have this hope that together you make a whole and you can make some sense out of some of it. Yes. Because adulthood is confusing. Mm -hmm. These characters are asking all the same questions, even if we never bothered to articulate them in this way, even if we fall outside of what their theories and ideas are, it's sort of like, yeah, I haven't thought about it that way before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have had those same thoughts and questions. It's comforting to see these people struggling <laughs> at a time when you're struggling too. I mean, I have a 19-year-old and he is working his tail off to try to figure it out. And I told him yeah. like, there is no fast track to this. Mm-hmm. You have got to go through the wondering and questioning of it all. It's a process. Yeah, it totally is. Yeah. And you have to find it out for yourself and and take those risks and take those journeys and take that train. Speaking of taking the train, let's yes. get into the plot of the film. Okay. Woo. We open inside of a moving train traveling through Austria. And there's a couple fighting on the train Mm -hmm. and it's not subtitled, but I, I actually did a deep dive. I needed to know what they were fighting about. Oh, awesome. I was like, I don't know. You feel like you're in Europe. Like you don't know what anyone's saying. I know you're like, I have no idea. I thought like she was accusing him of infidelity or something. No, (laughs) they were actually accusing each other of being alcoholics. Wow. Anyway, they're fighting. And Celine, we see Celine, a young, beautiful woman sitting there on the train and she is uncomfortable by this. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't need to be around this. So she gets up and she changes seats. She finds herself seated across the aisle from Jesse. Let's talk casting. Yes. Linkletter took nine months to cast this film. Whoo, that's that's a lot. That's a long time. It is. Wow. It was really important for him to get the chemistry of the characters just right. Yeah. So he said, I was looking for two creative partners. I wasn't looking for just two pretty faces. I love that. He got both. I mean, yeah. yeah. Oh, amazing. They're both gorgeous and they're both amazing. And their chemistry is just palpable. I mean, it's just, they're just right. They weren't rushing. I like that. No, they weren't. And yeah. I, I think for him, because it was, you know, inspired by his own experience. I think it was a real passion project for him that he really wanted to get right. Yeah. So of course, Jesse is played by the one and only Ethan Hawke. Mm. We know and love him from a million things, including Dead Poet Society, Reality Bites, Gattaca, Boyhood, lots of stuff. But when casting was underway, Linklater was invited to see Hawke in a play in New York. Now, like I mentioned at that time, Ethan Hawke had come off of Reality Bites. He was the hottest thing ever. He was like Mr. Gen X, right? Mm-hmm. So Hawke and Linkletter ended up at a bar that night and they hung out until 4 a.m. Wow. And he heard all about this film that Linkletter, you know, was wanting to, to put together. And when he was sent the script, he just assumed he had the part. He's like, <laughs> we were together until 4 a.m. He told me all about the project, like clearly. So he was all excited. He had ideas. He was like, I'm here for it. (laughs) And then he learned, dude, you have not been offered the part. You have been offered an audition along with what Hawk called about 10,000 other people. Whoa. Yes. So that was humbling. Wow. (laughs) Talk about like putting yourself like in your place. Like, oh my God. Like, oh, 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 better check (laughs) myself. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm not. That hot. Oh my God. Right now. Like awesome. That's great. He had to work for it though, but then he had to really work for it. And 
I like that. I, I like, like that it. too. Yeah. They, and, and you have to see like, does he work with Julie Delpy? Like exactly. Connect. Or if they even had Julie Delpy at that time. I don't, who did they cast first? Okay. Do you know? I don't know who they cast first, mm. but I do know that for the role of Celine, they saw a lot of actresses, including Gwyneth Paltrow and Jennifer Aniston. Wow. As we know, the role went to Julie Delpy. She has been in, obviously, all of these Sunrise trilogy films. She was in Two Days in Paris, On the Verge. She's amazing. She's a phenomenal writer and actress. And singer-songwriter. She writes her own like music and stuff. She's great. She's like my ideal. I love her. Yeah. She's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So casting director Judy Henderson said, I think they went with Julie because she was wonderful. And they thought the French accent gave a definite feeling that Jesse was meeting someone who was not from his world. Yes. I would that's agree. great. I love that. Mm-hmm. She went on to say, Ethan and Julie had a chemistry that was electric and charming at the same time. Mm. Amen. Yep. You got to have it. Got to have that. (laughs) Hawk said, meeting Julie was like meeting a character from a novel, like Anna Karenina or something. She's a very deep person. I'd never felt so American and so dumb in my life. (laughs) (laughs) And you can totally see that in his face. Like he's he's trying to like hide that he feels dumb and American, but you can see like, oh yeah. Oh, he's like, I wear this. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. He just so good. Yeah. So Jesse, I mean, he's handsome. He looks cute. He's dressed Mm -hmm. in his burgundy turtleneck. It's got a little hole. That was actually his turtleneck. Oh my God. He said, my stepfather had given me this burgundy turtleneck and I was in love with it. I don't know why. And then I just immediately regretted it because it was really hot. What (laughs) idiot thinks they look good in a turtleneck in summer in Vienna? (laughs) The American who doesn't really know what the dumb American. (laughs) That's who wears the turtleneck. Yeah. I thought it made him look intellectual. I thought yeah. it made him look really smart. I was like, yeah. oh, he's a deep thinker man. He wears a turtleneck. Yeah, yeah. so cute. <laughs> <laughs> you go with your turtleneck. With your turtleneck. And yeah. I love that she was wearing like a baby doll yeah. with a brown. I, I love that the, the color of that dress was brown. I don't know why that spoke to me so much, but just, you know, the spaghetti strap dress over the baby doll tee. Like we wore that. All the time. I have a All million pictures of me wearing yes, a baby yes. doll with a dress over it. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And and the flannel. She had like the flannel the later. Flannel. Like the, the yes. flannel. So so 90s. We all had that flannel. I love it. So versatile. Yeah. 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 It's all back. You can get it at <laughs> yeah, Target. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I love that the 90s are like back. Like, oh, they're so back. I just so recorded back. an episode on Clueless and we talked for a long time about how all the outfits from Clueless are currently at Target right now. Oh my gosh, totally. Yeah, and like the little girls, like the tiny little girls are like wearing like the little spaghetti strap with the tees and like the combat boots. It makes me wish I saved all my dresses. I know, me too. I didn't save hardly any of that. And I'm like, why? 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 Well, I'm assuming I could fit into it. I don't know that that's true, but it still would have been cool to (laughs) have. You call it vintage clothing. I mean, that's that's what it is. It all comes back. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
Okay. So the two of them strike up a conversation and he invites her into the lounge car to continue talking. And this is when we learn that he's been bumming around Europe for a couple of weeks and he's on his way to Vienna to catch a flight home in the morning. So you did this, Amy, you bummed around Europe. I did. I rode on a train for, it was a couple of weeks. And then I had like a traveling partner that I, um, a girl that I met and we, we would just kind of went together because I, you know, traveling alone, I wasn't too, yeah, I was like a young girl traveling alone. So one of the girls that I met there, um, you know, she was like, Hey, I'm staying after two. And we're like, okay, cool. So we kind of, she was one of the ones that we saw the movie together. And so we kind of were like, yeah, let's do this. So I wasn't totally by myself, but I was on the trains also, (laughs) Like Jesse, we ran out of money very quickly. And because uh, we were staying at hostels and like sure. we'd go at the cheap hostels, we had like everything in the backpack, like everything we needed in our little backpack. Sometimes we didn't have enough money for like a place to stay. So we would just take the night train and like sleep, sleep on the on train. The train. <laughs> yeah. wow. And that was a little weird. So that's why it's like good to have like a traveling partner. Like I was, I didn't feel as like scared. Like, you know, I did take some trains, you know, around. London and all of that by myself. Did you ever meet a Jesse? No, not really. You know, we would meet people here and there at different places. Like when we got to Paris, my friend and I, there was this man, well, he was probably like a young guy. Like we met on the train who was Canadian and spoke French and we're like, oh, oh. hey, let's like bum around with you. So he was really cool. Like, and then, so that was someone that we, um, we went to the museums together and he like, helped us like, you know, find our way on the train. And like, you know, I mean, this is before Google translate, like we needed that. Yeah. Yeah. You totally needed like a person, like a real live, like person that like, (laughs) you know, I don't think he was really into either of us, but it was just that fun moment of just like connecting with this guy and him kind of, you know, and I think my friend and I felt safe. Like we could you know, just do that. And and we just went around Paris and with this guy. And then in three days later, he was gone and we were gone. And we're like, bye. So, wow. <laughs> That's very uh, cool. Like for yeah. this short time in your life, like this person mm-hmm. was really important to you. Yeah, you had yeah. a life experience and then they were gone. Yeah. And that's how it was like, wow. you know, and we didn't really feel like, you know, we the need to like exchange anything. We were Keep just like, touch. yeah, you're just there. And then, yeah. Wow. So. Well, you know, Linkletter and Larhopped actually did exchange information and oh. it kind of fizzled out. And, you know, not long after he had met her, he ended up in a new relationship. So they never actually spoke again. And wow. he wondered if she would show up at a before sunrise screening or something, mm-hmm. but she never did. And he didn't know this at the time, but. Larhop died in a motorcycle accident in 94, just weeks before filming began for this film. Oh my God. That is heartbreaking. He didn't even find out about this until years later when one of her friends who knew about their night, their magical night together, Mm -hmm. she pieced it together and wrote him to tell him the news. I mean, isn't that so heartbreaking? Yeah. Yeah. It's so sad. Oh, geez. Okay. Well, we learned Celine is a college student and she's returning home to Paris. And this is when they began sharing a little bit about themselves. We learned that Jesse has always had a BS detector. He revels in doing the opposite of what people tell him to do, mm-hmm. uh, to be young. Yeah. <laughs> 
Celine reveals that her parents were constantly converting her fanciful ambitions into practical money-making ventures. If she said she wanted to be a writer, her dad was like, you mean journalist. If she wanted to be an actress, he was like, you mean TV newscaster. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, Amy, as an actress, singer, and songwriter, (laughs) how did your family feel about you pursuing a degree in theater, pursuing your creative passions? Well, I think my family was like, you know, as long as you go to school, that's all that matters, like go to college. And I was like, okay. So I think that's why I, you know, I went to college, first of all, thinking I was going to be a theater major and getting there and being like, what? Like, uh, like I I was not really ready for that. And I think that's part of what inspired me to want to just go to Europe and figure things out. Uh Cause I really, I really obviously learned a lot and it really shaped who I was and my family, I think they were fine as long as I majored in something. And eventually, you know, I was like, okay, I was kind of like, you know, Celine's parents where I was like, okay, well, I'm a theater major. I guess I got to go teach theater. Like I wasn't really ready to start going out and pursuing acting full time. I was like, okay, I guess I'll be a teacher. And, you know, I love teaching and obviously inspired by our teacher, Mr. Baird. And I think that's kind of my fallback was like, oh, not really fallback. Cause I don't want to, you know, <laughs> say like teaching is no, you know. we love teachers. I mean, what a noble profession. Yeah. So important. I mean, look how, how HK Baird shaped your life, shaped yes. all of our lives. Absolutely. I, so mm-hmm. many of the guests that I have had on this season have been Mr. Baird students and yeah. have gone on to do amazing creative things. Yeah. But for you, you just weren't ready at that point in your life to pursue acting you took what maybe felt a little bit safer. Now you were a theater teacher for years, right? Yeah. 12 years. I was a theater 12 teacher. 12 years. That's amazing. Yeah. And, but all that during that time, like um, once I'd been teaching for a few years, I was like, you know, I need to be on stage for myself again. Cause I was directing plays and, you know, teaching acting, which, and I had great students. So I started acting while teaching and I did plays. I was involved in theater companies and started writing for some of the theater companies I was in and doing more of that. Yeah. So I was, I eventually started to do it again while I was teaching. It was kind of like this. That's like transitional period. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, you've acted in several short films. Mm -hmm. You've been in independent films, TV movies, TV pilot, commercial, tons of plays and, and still doing it, still auditioning every day. And once my son was born, that's when I was like, okay, I'm going to go after acting full-time, well, as full-time as I could, (laughs) having a baby. (laughs) I mean, it really does shift the focus, right? Yeah. That happened for me too. I was working a job that I just, I mean, flat out, I did not enjoy it. It was not the best use of my talents. And I worked it for, I don't know, 14 years. Wow. Yeah. And I had kids and you reach a point where you're like, it's now or never time Mm -hmm. is passing. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to look back on my life with regret. So like Celine, you know, there's a little of Celine in all of us. She's a dreamer mm-hmm. and it's a brave choice. Yes. Jesse tells a story about being a small child and seeing a vision of his dead grandmother. Mm, I love that part. Oh my goodness. You no, know, I really do too. It was really beautifully written. I just love, and I love how he's like, you know, describe like in the prism. Yeah. She seems charmed by this, you know, mm-hmm. and, and as a direct foil to her own character, she's like, I am afraid of death 24 seven. This is why I'm on a train. I don't fly. I'm afraid of flying. 
Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, yeah. that's so challenging to be someone like Celine who is a dreamer who has a lot of fears. Mm-hmm. I think that's true for a lot of dreamers. Yeah. I, I feel like a lot of people who are have a lot of creative, you know, tendencies or abilities, and we also are deeply scared. <laughs> and maybe that's why we're, you know, we can be so in touch with our emotions and our creativity is because we can access all of those feelings because we are right. afraid and also idealistic and excited about things at the same time. It's this, it's a push pull, right? Yeah, it is. I think that's from my own experience. Yeah. How that's how, that's how exactly how I feel like scared, but also but I want to do this, you know, but I want to do this and mm-hmm. and it's a calling really. And I mean, I think for anyone that puts themselves out there, I think we look at people who, you know, create the thing, people who are acting on stage, acting in, in TV and film, doing podcasts, whatever your medium is, right. right. You're an influencer. I don't know, whatever you do, <laughs> you look at them and you assume they're unafraid because mm-hmm. they're actually doing it. Mm-hmm. And I would argue, mm, pretty much all those people are afraid they're just doing it anyway. Yes. And that's where I draw my inspiration from it. Just because you're doing it doesn't mean you're not afraid. Mm -hmm. Do it anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do it anyway. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I love though that I love the pacing of their conversations. I mean, I feel like it's almost this like unspoken beauty to this film because there are moments that are like very awkward. There's Mm -hmm. lulls in their Mm -hmm. conversation. Mm -hmm. It feels so authentic to like a true conversation where somebody says something and the other person maybe blushes a little about that and doesn't Mm -hmm. really know how to respond. And it, it it feels so real. feels so real. Like I, you know, I wonder how much of it is improv. Like how much did they actually improv? I know the answer to that. Oh, nice. Delpy and Hawk both had a really heavy hand in the script. Oh, that's that makes sense. Yeah. So in 2016, Delpy told Creative Screenwriting, Ethan and I basically rewrote all of it. There was an original screenplay, but it wasn't very romantic, believe it or not. It was just a lot of talking rather than romance. Richard hired us because he knew that we were writing and he wanted us to bring that romance to the film. We actually brought those romantic ideas and that's how I wrote something that actually got made without really getting credit for it. But if I had written before sunrise and been credited, then I doubt it would have been financed. Wow. I mean, that's a definite possibility. Mm -hmm. Ethan Hawke told the New York times, it didn't piss me off. He was talking about the fact that there wasn't a discussion to credit them as writers. He said, it felt like such a grand adventure. I used to joke there were times when Julie and I didn't want credit because we were so sure it was going to be bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I I understand how they feel. Yeah. Like you're, you're putting yourself out there. You're putting, I mean, when you're writing your own dialogue, you're, those are your words. I mean, right. Like you want it, but you don't yeah. want it. Like if yeah. it's received well, then I want the credit. If it's not received well, then I had nothing to do with it. Yeah. yeah, They are credited on the other two films though, as writers. That's good. So soon enough, they're approaching Jesse Stop in Vienna and they're both disappointed. I mean, he says like, God, I wish I'd met you earlier. I've been mm-hmm. on the train forever. I really like talking to you. And then he he works up the courage. I guess he has Mm -hmm. this moment of bravery where he proposes his insane idea. He says, 
If I don't ask you, it will haunt me for the rest of my life. Yeah. He says, you should get off the train with me in Vienna and check it out. Mm. And he's like, look, jump ahead 10, 20 years. You're married. Okay. It's not the same energy between you guys anymore. You start to blame your husband and you think about all the guys in your life that could have been. I'm one of those guys. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, he's like, you should think of this as time travel. I love it. You know, and and she's amused by him. And she's like, yeah, okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. She gets off. I love that she does that. And and you can see that, you know, I feel like that moment right before he comes over and she's kind of looking out the window. I kind of feel like, oh, she had that feeling too. I bet she was already there. 100% Amy. I think that too. I think she was like, do I get off the train with them? Mm -hmm. Is that stupid? Yeah. Should I suggest it? (laughs) <laughs> Am I that girl? Yeah. And it's so funny for, for such a feminist that she claims she is. Yes. She, yeah. She's, yeah. She's waiting for him to say the things, you know, right. Yeah. Instead of her, but I get it. She's in that moment where she's like, I, how do you know? How do you know what to do? But how do you know? How do you know? So they get off the train and they're walking. They fully acknowledge the awkwardness of this. I like love this kind of weird. Yeah. yeah. I love that they do that. Yeah. Cause that's how it would be. You'd be like, okay, now, oh, what did we just do? Like, <laughs> like we did this. Like, this is the moment I think where he's like, oh, um, like I'm Jesse. Like they haven't even exchanged names. Yeah. <laughs> wow. She gets off the train with an unknown person, yeah. fully unknown to her. But yet she feels somehow that she knows him on a deeper level. It's yeah. phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So this is when they're on that bus train, whatever that yeah. is. And yeah. Jesse's like, okay, like rapid fire. I'm going to ask you some questions. This is an icebreaker game. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he doesn't call it that, but that's basically what it is. Yeah, let's right. push past the awkwardness and let's, let's get to yeah. the meat of it. So he's like, I'm going to ask you some questions and you have to answer 100% honestly. And I mean, he goes all in. He's like, mm-hmm. what were your first sexual feelings towards someone? Yeah. She asks him, have you ever been in love? Yeah. He asks her what pisses you off. I love her answer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She hates being told to smile by strange men. Yeah. Amen. Sister. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. She hates that there's a war happening 300 kilometers from there. Mm -hmm. She hates that the media is trying to control their minds. Mm -hmm. And she hates when she gets mad, especially in places like America. They think it's like fully adorable and precious. Like, oh, it's so French. Yeah. Cute. She's so cute. Yeah. (laughs) I love her. Yeah. But it is kind of also adorable. But I get it. She's like... She's like, (laughs) you know what this, um, as you were talking, I had this thought when I was writing my little short film, I was trying to figure out how people connect so quickly. And there was some article that I found that was like these questions that you ask somebody like these, like 36 questions that basically, you know, after you're done asking these questions, you fall in love with this person like that you're talking (gasps) to, like. And uh, I forget exactly what the article was, but I'm sure you could Google it. And it's like, it's really deep, intimate questions. So I love that right off the bat, right out of the gate there, you know, he's like, I'm going to ask you all these questions because that is opening the door for them falling in love. It's almost like, let's get through the politeness of it all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Let's get through the formality of it all and Mm -hmm. just cut to the meat of it because our time is limited. Yes. And so that's what he was trying to do. He was yeah. like, I sent something here. 
like we will be able to tell real quick whether or not there's more here. Yeah. And like you said, worst case scenario, you get on the next train. Yeah. Like it's cool. If if you're mm-hmm. not into me, if you're not having a good time, you can go ahead and hightail it out. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is when they go into the record store. Oh, this is the best. Oh my God. So there are a lot of like amazing moments in this film, but yeah, this moment. Okay. So they take an album into a listening booth. They're actually listening to Kath Bloom's come here. And you might not know this, Amy, their reactions were authentic. Linkletter Mm -hmm. told the New York times, that's the only time I withheld anything from the cast. The lyrics were in the script, but they had never actually heard the song. So you can see them really listening because they've never heard that yearning, creaky thing in Kath Bloom's voice. That's so moving. I think that's why it seems so magical in this moment, because they're real honest reactions. And I love that he did that. He knew good job, Richard. Yeah. Good job. Like like, gold star, very much a gold star that looks, oh, it's just the tension, the sexual tension, the, just the tension, the general emotional tension. Yes. Oh, I love it. It's beautiful. beautiful. Hawk said it's probably my single favorite take of anything I've been involved in. Wow. Yes. And Delphi said that was really special. It was like magic. Each time I felt Ethan looking away, I would look at him and vice versa. I almost fell in love with him right there. But then Rick said, cut. Ah. <laughs> so this is the moment where like, you're waiting for the kiss, right? Yes. And yeah, you're waiting for it. There are so many tender, like almost moments. Yeah. Like it leads you right up to it. And then it backs away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, there's a romance in that. Yes. Yes. Right? I've never thought about like, like that before, but that, yes, that is also part of the romance that it just keeps you guessing, keeps you wondering, keeps you hoping all of that keeps alive by it, it doing that. Yeah. And that's real life. Yes. Yes. Kate and I, on a few episodes, we had talked about some moments where It's like, if this was a romantic movie, this is the romantic payoff that would happen next. That just doesn't. Mm. That's real life. Sometimes these moments, it's like, you're almost there. You're like on the precipice of of something big and magical. And then for whatever reason, fear, insecurity, whatever, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. And they're dealing a lot with the, they're in, they have a lot of insecurity that they're, both of them are just kind of struggling with or dealing with or managing, but they're trying to also figure out how to break through that. And I think that's part of the beauty in that. Yeah. Okay. So this is when we cut to scenes of them walking around Vienna. Mm -hmm. They visit the cemetery. They arrive at Vienna's iconic Riesenrad, a 19th century Ferris wheel at sunset. This is where Celine says to Jesse, are you trying to say you want to kiss me? He says yes, and they kiss, and then she hugs him. Yeah, so tender. That's not something you see a lot. No, they're kissing, and then she's just embracing. I know. And then we see him, like, kind of really embracing her, and it's almost a deeper connection, I feel like, just this embrace rather than, oh, I'm just going for the kiss, kiss. but they're just, yeah, I'm, I'm going to embrace you. It was almost like the kiss 
was the vehicle yeah. to oh. the hug rather that, yeah. I mean, that's how yeah. I took it too. I was just like, wow, it's, it's exactly what you're saying. The real intimacy is in that hug. It was not in the kiss and that's not something yeah. we see. Yes. I know. And also, I don't know if you uh, heard this or noticed it, but I'm just hearing the leather jacket every time. Like there, it's just so, it also feels intimate that you hear his leather jacket. Oh, move. I didn't catch yeah, that. I just love that. I don't know. It just makes it even more of a intimate moment for me. Like, wow. wow. You're like right there. Like you feel like you're the one like actually it's being in hugged. In that. Yeah. This film is embracing us, Amy, yeah. <laughs> literally as we embrace it, it embraces us. Yes. <laughs> so I actually have some interesting trivia about this scene. Linklater said, we tried to shoot it at sunset, but they would only stop the Ferris wheel for 10 minutes. And then Mm. we'd go around and do it again. We had three different light levels by the time we finished. So we went back a week later and reshot that in the morning and they let us stop it for an hour. When you see their first kiss that was shot in the morning. Wow. Yeah. Mm. So they were not shutting that at sunset for them. (laughs) And then to make it even more challenging, Delphi is afraid of heights. <gasps> yes. Hawk said, try making out with someone who's absolutely petrified. It was challenging. And I don't think she was terribly impressed. She'd been with a lot more interesting men than me. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, I have never been on a Ferris wheel since. <gasps> Yeah, I know. When you act, you have to get over your fears constantly. I'm also shy with men. And I had to kiss someone who was a friend at that point. It Mm. was scary. Mm. But I think that works though. It works for the scene. It works because it it is scary, totally scary and petrifying and all of that at the same time. And you want it so bad. Like, right. And I think that's another reason probably why that works so well. And because they're actually experiencing these real emotions that are, or are not connected with the scene, we don't know. And and that's part of what, you know, being an actor is all about, like your actual real emotion that you're experiencing or the real context of the way you're experiencing the scene might not be what the actual scene is about, but it helps. It is like, yeah, a vehicle for the scene and what you're doing in the Yeah. Yeah. We see them continue to walk and talk. This is when we learn that Jesse's parents are divorced. Mm. His mom even told him that his dad was pissed when she got pregnant. Yeah, that was weird. I know. He thought yeah. of him as a big mistake. Is it like a parent? I'm like, why? What? Even like, you know, as a child of divorced parents, like I, I just, I know that I, I can't imagine like, you know, you're a parent being that cruel. I know. He said, you know what? It shaped the way I think. You know, I always saw the world as a place where I wasn't meant to be. And you know what? I learned to take pride in it. And mm-hmm. and this really is the root of his cynicism. Yeah. He is so cynical. Yeah. In his heart, he's a romantic. We mm-hmm. see it. He got off the train in Vienna with the stranger. Mm-hmm. But the other side of him is like, eh. and we see it later, you know, with the palm reader. Mm-hmm. And the poet. Yes. Yeah. We see it later. Yeah. Yeah. His cynicism just creeps, starts creeping out. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in contrast, Celine's parents are are married and they're happy together. And she alludes to the fact that this is kind of a lot of pressure to live up to. Mm-hmm. And we learn more about that, you know, as she reveals more about her romantic history later. Mm-hmm. So 
This is when they go to the cafe and encounter the eclectic palm reader. Oh yeah. She's great. (laughs) She reads Celine's palm and she tells her you've been on a journey and you're a stranger in this place. She said, you're a seeker and you're interested in a woman's creativity. All these things are true, Mm -hmm. but Jesse's not buying it. Mm -hmm. You know, she looks at his palm and she tells him you'll be all right. And then she says to Celine, he's learning. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. He's so hurt by that though. And like, but he can't show that he's hurt. Like, I think that's why he's like, oh, you know, they're all mm, palm readers. They're, they're just, you know, say, say that to everybody. And, but he's like so defensive. He's saying like, I love what she said. And he's like, eh. And the look on her face is so telling because She doesn't outrightly say it, but we see Mm -hmm. disappointment in her eyes when he like poops all over that experience. Yeah. And she makes this like face. She goes like, like, you're so like crazy. Like, like she makes this like little face. That's you're like, oh, this is the first moment where I think she's like, oh, this is not as perfect or as ideal as I was thinking it might be. It is. It's the first time there's any sort of hint of like, huh? Okay. Yeah, this might not be all it's cracked up to be. Right, right. (laughs) So they visit a church. They continue to stroll through Vienna at night. They stop sometimes to kiss. And, um, you know, Celine says, like, look, if we were together all the time, what would be the first thing that drove you crazy about me? Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's smart. (laughs) He refuses Mm -hmm. to answer that question. (laughs) (laughs) But he asks her the same question. She does admit. I didn't like your reaction about the palm reader. Yeah. And I love that they're open to that, that they kind of like deal with what's in front of them, that she's not afraid to kind of say what she thought about that and that she's open in in that sense. I like that. I don't think I would have been honest about that at that age. Would you? Yeah. No, not at all. She's no, no. I would have been like, oh, whatever. Like just trying to like, yeah, I would have been like, I'm not answering that. Yeah. Yeah. But she's, I love that, you know, she's brave enough to put that out there. Yeah. And I think that also says something about their connection. Like maybe if she didn't feel as much of a connection or as intimate of a connection, she wouldn't feel as safe to, to do that. Go Celine. Go Celine. (laughs) Feminist icon. Yes. (laughs) So this is when they encounter the poet. Yes. On the street who offers to incorporate any word of their choosing into an original poem. Mm -hmm. And he says, if you're moved by the poem, you can pay me. If not, it's all good. So Celine chooses the word milkshake. Now listeners, you're in for a real treat. (laughs) Amy and I talked about this. You know, Amy's a professional actress. I said, Hey, would you be up for providing us with like a dramatic reading? Of the milkshake poem. Yes. I love this poem so much. I love it. I do too. Love it. Just love it. It's so beautiful. I can't wait to hear you and your dramatic rendition of this All poem. Right. So whenever you're ready, Amy. Okay, let's do it. Daydream delusion. Limousine eyelash. Oh, baby, with your pretty face. Drop a tear in my wine glass. Look at those big eyes. See what you mean to me. Sweet cakes and milkshakes. I'm a delusion angel. I am a fantasy parade. I want you to know what I think. Don't want you to guess anymore. 
You have no idea where I came from. We have no idea where we're going. Lodged in life, like two branches in a river, flowing downstream, caught in the current. I'll carry you. You'll carry me. That's how it could be. Don't you know me? Don't you know me by now? Oh, you're so good. (laughs) Thank you. I love this poem. I do too. I love how the guy reads it in the movie too. He's, I'm so glad they ask him to read it because he, he just has this cool vibe about him. Like, yeah, he's like smoking a cigarette. Yeah. I don't know. It's just so, it's so European and like deep and beautiful and seemingly effortless for him. Mm -hmm. What were your favorite lines in this? Like, is there anything that jumped out to you? I love, you have no idea where I came from. We have no idea where we're going. That's exactly what I chose. Really? Yes. Oh my God. (laughs) I have it right here. Oh my God. (laughs) Celine is impressed. I thought he was impressed. I mean, they both paid him. Yeah. I think he was impressed too. So he's impressed, but then he has to, again, go the cynicism Mm -hmm. in him, poop Mm -hmm. all over it. He's like, I bet he already had that written. And he just plugged in the word. He's still putting on his, like his mask, his face. Like he has to put that, his front. That facade. Yes. That's a better word. Thank you. (laughs) What is the word? (laughs) We find out soon enough. He runs out of money, like fully runs out of money. And he gave his money to the poet. Like it had to have been worth something. Yes, I'm sure it was. And, you know, I wonder like, did she keep it? Did he keep it? Where is that poem? I thought about it too. Where's that poem now? Who kept it? Like, (laughs) where did it go? (laughs) Thank you for doing the reading. That was so fun. Yeah, it was fun to do. So this is when they go into a club. And Jesse asks her if she's dating anyone. And I'm just like, wow, by now, you yeah. two have been together so long. Yeah. Kissed. You've hugged. Yeah. <laughs> you've shared your deepest, you know, secrets. Mm-hmm. And now you're going to be like, oh, so do you have a boyfriend? Am I yeah. just- <laughs> Whatever, I dude. Know, so weird. <laughs> She reveals that six months ago, she was dating someone who was stupid, Mm -hmm. ugly, bad in bed, and an alcoholic. (laughs) (laughs) And then she was like, so hurt. She wasn't the one that broke up with him. He broke up with her. I know. And it says so much about her, how she's like, you know, I think on the inside, she's just like, I can't, I'm insecure. She's just insecure. I can't. I can't leave this guy. I know. Uh, even though he's all these bad things. She fantasized about killing him, which yeah. I loved. And as she told her shrink and the shrink called the cops on her. <laughs> when Celine asks Jesse if he's dating anyone, he reveals that he wasn't just bumming around Europe for mm-hmm. a cheaper flight. Yeah. He said, I, look, I saved up. I came here to meet my girlfriend in Spain. As soon as I got here, like she completely blew me off. Yeah. And I, I can kind of relate to Jesse because that's kind of what spurred me into going to Europe. I had a boyfriend who had just broken up with me the summer before I went to Europe. And I was like, what do I do? I was so, I was devastated. I was heartbroken. And yeah. I was like, what else can I do? I can't just stay here. I can't stay here. I got to go. That's when I chose to study abroad and 
So glad I did that. So wow. That's-, that's such a brave step to take when you're mm-hmm. feeling particularly vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I love this idea though. It's sort of like, like under the Tuscan sun, that film. Yes. I love that movie. <laughs> yes. I love that movie too. Mm-hmm. Like, like a bad breakup or divorce or whatever. And someone being like, I need to get the hell out of here. Yeah. I need to discover more about myself. I need mm-hmm. to get out of everything around me that mm-hmm. reminds me of this person. Experience something new. Yeah. Just get every, everything about that person out of your head, go into right. a new situation and, and see what happens. Yeah. Did it work? Did it help <laughs> heal you? Well, you know, the funny thing is that <laughs> right when I was about ready to go, then he, he was like, oh, let's get back together. Oh and my I was God. Like, oh, you know what? Yeah. That's the way they do that. Yeah. They totally do that. I know. I'm not a, I'm not a man hater. You guys are cool. It's fine. But, <laughs> but like young men, this mm-hmm. is a move. Yeah, it is a move. Yeah. It was totally a move. And so I was like, so I went over there, like, still kind of like in this weird moment. Like he was like, I was like, Oh, but I'm still kind of in love with him. But at the same time, like I'm over here. So it was, it kind of, I don't want to blame him. You know, it was my fault, but I was like, it kind of stunted like me really trying to have a romantic, you know, encounter. Like, I think I was still kind of like your heart still kind of questioning. Yeah. So yeah, I know. So, but (laughs) We can blame uh, him, Amy. It's we fine. Blame I think him. we should. Yeah. I think yeah, we should. Enough time has passed. Let's just blame That's him. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So this is really, I think, what causes Jesse's real cynicism. I don't even think it's really rooted in his father. He says, like, I think on some level, women like the idea of destroying a man. Mm. Like, he said that. <sighs> she obviously disagrees, but, like, yeah. I don't think that's true. Yeah. Before that, she's like, oh, who broke up with you? Right. right. She's like, okay, who broke up with you? You know? (laughs) I mean, clearly there's some pain here for a reason. Yes. Yeah. So he said, sometimes he dreams of being a good husband and father. And yet sometimes it seems silly, like it would ruin his whole life. Mm -hmm. He said, if I'm totally honest, I'd rather die knowing I was really good at something than just being in a good caring relationship. I was like, whoa, you know, because sometimes, you know, honestly, sometimes I feel like, oh, am I just a mom or am I something else, something more like you want to kind of be something else, but at the same time, you know, you have to be open to life and relationships. I think it's about being balanced in your humanity, right? Like, yeah, sure. You could at the exclusivity of everything else in your life, you could pour all of your energy into being good at the thing. He said, mm-hmm. I would rather die knowing I was really good at something. Yeah. She contradicts that by saying mm-hmm. like, look, I knew a guy who had poured his whole heart and soul into his career. And at the end of his life, he was like, I wish I had chosen differently. I know. I think it's a question that, you know, when you're that age and that you're that young, you feel like, oh, you know, I don't need anyone. You know, I'm fine by myself. But when you mature and you realize, oh, that's really what life is about, is is about the relationship, is about the connection, is about people you love. Right. I mean, what do they say? Happiness is love full stop. That's Mm -hmm. what it is. Mm -hmm. And you can love a career, but does it love you back? Not in the same way. Not in the same way. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And this, again, goes back to what you were saying about Celine in her struggles as a feminist, as an independent woman. She said, 
I would try to be this person on the outside, but loving someone means so much to her. She said, I always make fun of it and stuff, but isn't everything we do in life just a way to be loved a little more? I think it is. Yeah. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're there in this town, in this moment with each other to be, to be loved, to be loved a little more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is one of my favorite moments. They go to a restaurant mm. and Celine pretends to call her girlfriend on the oh, phone. The best. This is the best. This is my favorite moment too, actually. This is my favorite moment. <laughs> I love how she pronounces the ring of the phone. Ding, ding. Yeah, yeah. Oh, she's so cute. She makes him pick up the phone as if he's her girlfriend and she picks up her pantomimed phone and she's yeah. like, I met a guy on a train. We're in Vienna. She's like, I was ready to get off the train with him, even after we had only been talking for a short while. She admitted it. She says it was the grandmother, the the hose moment. Yes. And I'm like, yeah, you can see it. I mean, I feel like I fell in love with him then too. Like right. I would totally, after that moment, right. get off the train with him too. Like, cause <laughs> she said, he's so cute. He kisses like an adolescent. <laughs> he's like, what? <laughs> and then she makes Jesse pretend to call his friend to catch up. And mm-hmm. Jesse reveals that he didn't stay longer in Europe for the cheaper flight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He just didn't want to go home. Mm-hmm. And he met someone who, who's an angel. She's smart and beautiful. Yeah. I love this moment the most because I feel like this is where, especially in Jesse, like you really see his guard come down. Yeah, You really see him really vulnerable for the first time and their insecurities aren't there. They're saying what's really on their mind and they are both accepting and understanding of each other when they reveal those real truths and those deep kind of secrets that they've been carrying around. And it's like they say them to each other while not saying them to each other. Yes. So layered. I love it. It's the best. So they continue walking the streets at night and they finally address the big question. Will they see each other again? Yeah. He's like, well, I could come back to Paris. And she's like, "I I could fly. But remember, she's afraid of flying. Mm-hmm. Celine said people exchange phone numbers and addresses and it just doesn't work. She suggests that, you know, maybe tonight should be it. And he agrees. He's like, okay, we'll just make tonight. Great. No delusions, no projections. Yeah. They shake hands. So they're one and only night together and the hours that remain. What are your thoughts? On one hand, I love that they do that, that, that they are like, you know, let's just live for this moment and not worry about it and not, yeah, project anything onto it. And we will enjoy these few moments together and that's it. It, it kind of makes it even more special and even more sacred in a, in a way. I mean, it's so bittersweet, that mm-hmm. idea, because I think, I think they both want it to continue, but then like the reality of it is like, you know, long distance things are hard and they don't really work. And is one night enough to keep us connected in this? Yeah. How is this realistic? But at the same time, you're like, oh, but, but what if they really have a connection? And that's, that's also kind of what is so different about this movie is that they make that pact and they're not, it's not like the typical romance where they're just happy ending. They're going to be real about it and make that choice. Yeah, like as much as I love Nancy Myers, the holiday. Do you yeah. know that film? Oh, yes. I love, love that movie. Love that Nancy movie. Okay. Myers, yes. 
Cameron Diaz and Jude Law, they're like, can we make it work? How are we going to do this? In the end, they have a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, but I, I think when you're a young person, you're like, yes, I have this amazing connection with you, but like, I'm going to have amazing connections with lots of people. Yeah. But they were also self-aware enough to understand that like, oh, we are too young. Oh. And I feel like me at that age, I'd have been like, oh no, let's exchange numbers and we'll we'll make it work. Oh my God. 100%. (laughs) I would have been all in. I would have been like, okay, so I'm studying abroad now and we're together Mm -hmm. and that's how it's going to (laughs) be. Yes. So they're very courageous. Yes, they are. So they go into a bar and this is when Jesse asks the bartender for a bottle of red wine because he only has one night with this amazing girl that he met and he doesn't have any money. And I love that the bartender, I mean, he's clearly a romantic at heart. Yeah. He's like, yeah. Okay. He's like, here you go. Yeah. It did any, without even really thinking about it. And I feel I like that's part of the beauty of Europeans and European, you know, like like the culture of romance is is really it's valued. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, okay, here you give me your, like that makes sense to them. Yeah. Whereas I think if you did that in America, they would just be like, "Mm, what? Like, I don't know. You just walked in off the street. You want a free bottle of booze? Like, what is this about? I mean, maybe someone would be moved enough by the possibility Mm -hmm. of that as a true story, but Yeah. And meanwhile, she's, you know, stealing wine glasses. I'm like, you guys could have just drank out of the same bottle. It would have been fine. Like this was pre-COVID. I know. Oh, guys. oh yeah. I know. I thought about that. I was like, ew, like, oh, but they're young. I think when you're, yeah, yeah. you're you don't care. You're just, it's fine. Yeah. yeah. So at the park, they open the wine and they begin to kiss. He wants them to see each other again. Mm-hmm. And she says, look, I don't think we should sleep together because it will just make me miss you more. Yeah. That's revealing her vulnerability there too. She's like, you know, oh, I just don't want, don't want to be like the French girl you slept with. Right. <laughs> you know, in Europe, you're the male fantasy of that. And I like that she calls them out. Like she's, they're really straightforward with each other and talk about it. And I think that's really mature. Like, I feel like I couldn't have done that, you know, at that uh, age. Yeah, I don't know that I could do that now. Amy. Yeah, well, I mean, I've been honestly, married a hundred yeah. years, but like, <laughs> I honestly don't know that level of honesty is challenging. Mm-hmm. It is. So, okay. She says this, yes, mm-hmm. but they kiss some more. And then it's unclear whether they have sex. Yeah. Although Linkletter said, technically you can see it any way you want. If you look closely, she's dressed a little differently. He's yeah. talking about in the morning. Mm-hmm. He said, so if you really do the math, you go, okay, that dress had to come off to get that shirt off. Something happened. I think all the hints are there. Yeah, I think so. I agree. In real life, the Times asked Linkletter in regard to his own romantic night, did he sleep with the woman that he met? And he didn't answer because he wanted to, quote, leave a little mystery. Uh, and be a gentleman. So good yes, for you, Linkletter. Yes, yeah, good. you shouldn't have no, answered don't kiss that. And tell. <laughs> that was kind of a crappy question, but like, yeah, I like that I they know. asked it, but it was kind of rude. Yeah. So the next morning Mm -hmm. they're walking a little, they have that sweet moment where they take like mental photographs of each other. This is when we get the iconic image of her laying on the statue or fountain Mm -hmm. steps, whatever that is with her head in his lap. And he's caressing her hair and face. That's the cover art. Mm -hmm. They're so forlorn. Like they know this is almost over. Yeah. But what's interesting is no one knew quite how the film was going to end. Mm. Linkletter said, 
We shot in chronological order and worked on the script every weekend throughout the shoot. We went pretty far into this thinking they weren't going to plan to meet again. And the night before, we were up until three in the morning rewriting the final scene. Wow. I kind of love that they didn't know. Yeah, it helps. It helps. I think it is really clear in the the whole rest of the movie that they didn't know because, you know, it's leading you to that moment where you don't, you don't know if they're going to see each other again. As an actor, do you think that would have changed the way they played it had they known one way or the other? I think other? so. I feel, feel. I, I think so. I, I I mean, obviously, if you're an actor, you're, you're you know, you're playing in the moment, but I feel like it, it being left open leaves that possibility and leaves that magic that can be there in the moment Well, when you're in the scene. Yeah. They're now at the train station. It's time for her to get on the train. Oh, this kills this me. This moment. I know. <sighs> Celine tells him to have a great life. Yes. And he's like, I hate this. And they kiss. And, you know, like time is ticking. Like you you mm-hmm. feel that. That's the big thing happening. There's just yes. this tension of time. It's so stressful. Mm-hmm. Jesse's like, all this bullshit about not seeing each other again. I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And the truth is, is he hasn't wanted to do that all along. But now, yes. like he said it. And so they negotiate seeing each other like, okay, okay, we'll see each other again. Okay. Like in five years, and it's like, that's too long. <laughs> yeah. They negotiate it from five years down to one year. And then they settle on six months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like six months from when? Six months from today? Six yeah, months from to yesterday? Out, like, yeah. Yeah. But it's going to be freezing. Like it's going to be snowing. Like, but why? What? <laughs> what? Okay. Six months from last night, June 16th, they agree not to call or write. Ooh. And, and in the, that day, you know, like you have obviously no other way to get a hold of each other, except if you exchange numbers, like there was no, e- was there email? Maybe that was email. Ethan Hawk addressed this in 2020 Hawk told the New York times, my daughter decided to watch the movie with some of her friends. And there was a certain envy they had for that time when you didn't have email. Okay. So if there was email, it was real, real new. It was real new. Yeah. He said, life insisted that you live in the moment more. Mm -hmm. There's something about always being digitally present that allows you to not be present. And part of what Jesse and Celine try to do in that movie is actually be present with each other. Yes. And I think that is what is the most beautiful part about this movie is that they are present with each other. They're in the moment the whole time. They really are. And you can see it in everything they do and in all the places that they go and that they experience they're in the moment. And I, that's also what's beautiful about that time is that, you know, the only maps you had were like in a little guidebook or that was, or like an actual map. Yes. And, and you'd have to, there's no Yelp. Like you had to just figure out, like ask people in the street and that's what they're doing. You know, they do in the whole movie, they talk to this person, they go to this person and, and they have real encounters and, I think, you know, now we don't experience as much of that. Oh, we don't at all. Yeah, like you can become so self-contained. Yeah. You know, you you can have your Google Translate and you can have your walking directions through Google mm-hmm. Maps. You don't need to interface the way you needed to back then. And yeah. we lose a lot yeah. in that. We do. David Sims of The Atlantic said, there are a million reasons you couldn't make before sunrise again. 
watching the film again conveys how Jesse and Celine's journey is joyously free of the internet or smartphones. Their dramatic parting has all the more weight because there's no Facebook for them to connect on. Yeah. Uh, Yes. Yes. That's what makes it so much more romantic. Yes. They kiss again. She gets on the train. We then cut to all the scenes now in daylight of the places that they were at night. I love that ending montage with all. Oh, it's so, I mean, did you notice though, when they pan to the park, the wine glasses and the wine bottle are there. They're still there. This is what's left. Mm -hmm. And an old lady walking by. Yeah. And so the final images we see are Celine on the train, looking out the window and she smiles at the memory. And then we see Ethan Hawke and he, where is he? I think he's on a he's bus. He's on the bus. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he closes his eyes and he smiles. Yeah. yeah. So obviously the film allows the audience to decide whether or not the couple kept their six month date, but Linklater said neither he nor the two actors ever doubted that the date would be kept. Mm. Except if you see the film yes. nine years later, uh-huh. if you see before sunset, right. we find out Celine didn't show. That's because her, yeah, her grandmother died. Yeah. Her grandma died. Mm-hmm. I, I'm basing this off a of memory. Did he at the beginning of their meeting say he didn't show and then later reveal that he did? Yeah. So obviously in the second film, which takes place nine years later mm-hmm. before sunset in 2004, they meet again because Jesse's in Paris for a book signing mm-hmm. of a book that he wrote detailing his experiences with Celine. Sure. And, and she comes to the book signing. What did you think about Before Sunset? I love that movie. Me too. I think I almost loved it more. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like for me, like at that point in my life, I would, it, I feel like this, these movies have really followed my, a lot of my personal <laughs> journey, you know, like at that point I was actually married and I was not happy. And I was like, well, my first marriage was starting to end and much like Jesse. Yes. Much like Jesse. So, um, yeah, I feel like I followed Jesse, not Celine so much, but I feel wow. like a lot of my, it's been more like Jesse, um, in my, and the timeline of events timeline. matches, which is amazing. Yeah, Amy. It's really cool. And before midnight, like now they're with their new spouse and new partner and having kids and, you know, and the pressures of that. I mean, I was so excited in 2013 when Before Midnight came out. I was like, so thrilled. It was a tough one for me. Like it's the realities of career and having children and a marriage that maybe isn't so magical anymore. And Mm -hmm. like, they had this great grand love story that we were all involved with, right? Mm -hmm. Like we felt like we were part of it. Mm Mm-hmm. And yeah, okay. In the end, I'm sorry if you guys haven't seen it. The movie came out in 2013. You're really, really late. Like spoiler alert, skip ahead if you don't want to hear this part. (laughs) Like they're contemplating ending their marriage, right? It's Mm -hmm. dark and they argue and and Mm -hmm. it's hard and they ultimately decide to stay together. But like, it doesn't feel like a great prize at the end of the film. It's not, it didn't leave me inspired 
inspired the way yes. the other two films did. I agree with that, like exactly the same. And I think I've only seen Bit Before Midnight once. And the other two okay. movies I've seen like a million times. Yeah. yeah. Cause it's, it's just so, it, it feels so good to, to want to follow these characters throughout that. But that, yeah, that, that one is hard to watch. And I think when I, when I saw it, I was like, I, I just had a baby. I was like, uh, like, you know, I was like, like oh it's heavy. Like, yeah. Like, I don't know if I can handle this right now. So. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah, I know. Uh, okay. So they had put out the second film nine years later, they put out the third film nine years after that. Mm-hmm. Nine years after before midnight, I can't do that math. What's that? 2022. So this year in June, Delphi was asked, is there going to be a fourth installment? Oh. She said, we, the three of us, agreed we couldn't come up with something good for a fourth one. Mm-hmm. It was an idea none of us liked. And that was the end of it. Yeah. So I think we're done. Yeah. I think it, I think it works is just ha- keeping that trilogy. Although I hate to see them leave off on such, on that note. I know too. Yeah. I would love to see it come around like. Right. As empty nesters. Now that the kids are gone, like yeah. what did you decide with your careers and how did you make it work? And yeah. Did you make it work? Yeah. I don't know. I want to have more hope for them that it's going to be okay. <laughs> I know song that she sings at the end of for sunset yeah oh my god How, can, can you download that on my... i know i wish you could did she write it i don't yes know that's her own writing i love it so much she's such a talent so good i've seen her like i went to a film festival when she did two days in paris and uh saw her talk about the movie like i, I went to like a panel where she was like, oh that's speaking. amazing yeah she was great it was so wonderful she's so smart she's spoken openly about how women earn so much less in hollywood yeah. she's been very vocal about that yeah, that's great i'm so glad yeah when delphi looked back on before sunrise she said before sunrise is a very romantic film and somehow i never had that romantic dreamy encounter in my life Mm. movies are magic a bit life isn't i don't know that life isn't i disagree i love her and i don't i yeah. don't think that life isn't magic there has to be magic and the hope of magic for all of us with my husband i feel like that was magic because we i just have to tell you the story really quick can i tell you the story about how, how that happened so 100 percent. i don't want to pry but yes please <laughs> So, you know, Luda went to our, our high school and then, but I didn't know him then. And then we were um, college friends, but you know, like I was dating the other person that, you know, broke up with me and then like getting back together. And then I got married to that person and then I got a divorce. And then years later, you know, it was actually like nine years after we graduated. Shut up, Amy. This is like freaking me out. Yeah. (laughs) One of our professors in the theater department, he, um, he unfortunately passed away and there was a memorial service, like a funeral, um, for him at the school. And we sat next to each other, Ludwig and I, and we were both like, you know, single at the time. And it was like, and we were such good friends before that. Like we were really good friends. We did a lot of stuff together when we were in college and, you know, plays and everything together and classes and all that. And he was my favorite actor. (laughs) And, uh, you know, so I was like, Oh, cool. Like it was really fun. We, we were just talking and, and then it was kind of magical. Then he was like a few days after that, he emailed me and he's like, Hey, 
let's go meet for coffee. And I was like, yes. And it just, it just was like, boom. It was like such a magical moment. It was like, you know, like wedding and a funeral kind of thing, you know, like, (laughs) wow. When did you get married? We got married in 2013 when my son was a year old. So we didn't get married until my son was uh, a year old. We had like a, what I would, what I would say, like an impromptu kind of like emotional marriage. Like we were in traveling in Armenia with a group of travelers and we, um, this was in 2011 and before my son was born and all the people that were in our traveling group, they were like, you guys, you guys should get married here. There's a church here. There's a church. There's like a million churches in Armenia. And, um, like, so they're like, get married in this church, get married in this church. They were all get married. And so one night we were having dinner, you know, as a group and this band started playing these songs and they started playing some like of the traditional Armenian wedding songs that you would play like at an Armenian wedding. And one of the men in the group was like, Hey, you know what? I'll be the you know priest. And then the other person's like, I'll be your dad walking you down the aisle. And they, we, Stop. we did a whole <gasps> marriage ceremony there in that restaurant with the band playing. And we like did the dance afterwards. So I really feel like we got married there. Like then <laughs> Amy, that's so magical. It was very magical. And yes, it was incredible. Talk about the brave adventurous things you do while traveling. I mean, clearly we're ready to do it. I'm not yes. suggesting that only, tra- <laughs> you know, the bug of travel, like inspires, but like, that is so amazing. Yeah. What an incredible story. Yeah. So you have two children. Mm-hmm. I have to tell you, Amy, I am very, very much enjoying your mom songs. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you guys. So Amy, she's an amazing performer, obviously, but she writes these songs about real mom life and she performs them. And I'm currently obsessed with the staring at my phone song. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So what inspired you to start writing mom songs? I'm into it. Tell me all about it. Yeah. Well, you know, I've always been like a singer songwriter. Like I actually, you know, performed in Hollywood clubs, you know, back in the day before kids as a little singer songwriter places, Uh you know, and, uh, I've, you know, been playing guitar as you know, for a long time and Uh writing songs. And, um, I just felt like the day-to-day life and the day-to-day struggle of being a mom and my experience as being a mom, I would just find myself like throughout the day, just to kind of like, keep me sane, like just riffing on little tunes. And, and then I was like, Hey, Oh, this is something. And so I started just taking those tunes, putting them to my guitar, sometimes piano, but mostly my guitar. And I was like, Hey, let me just put this out there. I was like, this, this will be fun. Like, and I tried to like, keep them. Um, I was keeping them like a minute long to be like on Instagram. So you yeah. Yeah. Them. Yeah. So, and that was kind of a good challenge. Like I could just and doable. Like I could write a one minute, funny, fun, little relatable mom song. And that's something that I could do and still be creative. I'll tell you, Amy, like it's just a matter of time until one of these mom songs goes totally viral. Thank you. Awesome. You guys need to check out Amy. She's on Instagram at Garris Groove. So Amy, what's next for you? Well, um, I have a plan to actually record my mom songs. Um, so, and do something with that. So that's my next project. Oh, that's so exciting. Okay. So do you have like tons of mom songs that we haven't seen and heard? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot. So I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to make some longer and, you know, 
Some would be like a normal song rather than just a minute. Some would just be a minute. And the beautiful part about it is there is no end to the inspiration and material. I mean, kids, (laughs) the ideas just keep coming. Like kids are crazy. Amazing. They're amazing. They're super weird. Just when you think it can't get any weirder, it does. And that's just like (laughs) fodder for like amazing creativity. So I'm so excited to see what you do with this. It's so fun. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, we didn't even talk about your self tapes. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. (laughs) So Amy records these self tapes. Some of them are actual auditions. Mm -hmm. Some of them are, are you preparing for auditions? Is that correct? Yeah. Most of it is like practice audition practice. And uh, so it's just a way to, to keep the wheels greased and you have like a place to put it, you know, and show it, then, you know, it's good practice and that you decide, okay, this is the take I want to use. So when you're not actually having auditions, you can keep that practice up and it really helps. And then you can just do the scenes you want too, rather than like get an audition that, you know, it's really fun because yeah, it's great. I get to see you in all these different kinds of roles yeah. and these self tapes are really fun. You guys, you can see Amy's incredible range. Oh, thank you. She shares them on Instagram at Amy Garris underscore self tapes. And of course we will link to all of this in the show notes, but Amy, it was such a pleasure to have you on the pod. Thank you so much for having me on. It was total honor and a pleasure. And it was awesome. It was so much fun talking to you and this is great. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening and please remember to rate and subscribe. So you never miss an episode. And of course you can find us on the web at the untitled gen X and on Facebook and Instagram at the untitled gen X podcast. We hope you keep in touch, beautiful people. Bye. Bye.